Welcome to the Hail to the District podcast with your host, Rajan Nanavati. Welcome to the Hail to the District podcast. I'm Rajan, and for those of you who listen to the podcast regularly, you likely noticed that I didn't join Pat on this week's most recent weekly recap episode discussing the Washington football team's loss to the Baltimore Ravens this past Sunday. And uh, in full disclosure, I had a bit of an old man moment this weekend. Um, after spending Sunday morning doing family things, my wife and I took our daughter to the pumpkin patch. I actually missed most of the first quarter of the game against the Ravens. Um, I turned on the TV or got back home and turned on the TV right when J.D. McKissick fumbled it in the first quarter, leading to Mark Ingram's touchdown. And then after that, I actually fell asleep for portions of the third quarter on the uber-comfortable recliner I have down in my man cave. And, and that hasn't happened in quite some time, but it did on Sunday. I guess this was the game to fall asleep, if there was ever any game just to fall asleep. But that notwithstanding, I watched enough of the game to get the general gist of everything. Um, obviously didn't watch as quite as intently as I usually do, and falling asleep in such a manner, as I mentioned, is a rarity. It won't happen again. At least I hope it won't happen again anytime soon. But again, I watched plenty of the game, or the vast majority of it. And to that end, one thing I did want to talk about, and one thing I did manage to notice extensively during the time I was awake was something that Pat mentioned in his recap podcast, which you should definitely go check out if you haven't done so already, um, as being one of the bright spots, one of the three up points in the game. And that was the performance of rookie running back Antonio Gibson. For those of you who didn't do any box score watching, uh, Gibson touched the ball 17 times on Sunday on 13 carries and four catches, totaling 128 yards from scrimmage and scoring Washington's first touchdown of the day, which was the only touchdown scored while the game was reasonably competitive. Point being, you could very well call Gibson's performance on Sunday his coming out party of sorts. And when our offense looks as inept as ours, and for the record, I'm doing everything I can to stay the hell away from the weekly shit show of Washington fans discussing Dwayne Haskins and staying away from all of that in this particular pod episode, um, you have to look for some signs of positivity. And in addition to Terry McLaurin, who I firmly believe is a top 20 wide receiver in the NFL right now, Gibson has to be one of those bright spots. Case in point, for those of you who place any stock in pro football focuses grades, and being honest, I actually do buy into a pretty substantive, to a pretty substantive extent of what they say in their grades, Gibson finished as the third best offensive rookie overall in week four. Now that's all well and good, but what really caught my attention was the fact that Gibson was ranked as the second highest running back entering Monday Night Football behind only Dalvin Cook through the first four weeks of the season. And for those of you who didn't see, by the way, Dalvin Cook was incredible in Minnesota's win over the Houston Texans, the latter of whom mercifully fired their shit-filled diaper of a head coach. But getting back on point, to reiterate, Gibson, as a running back, was ranked ahead of basically every other running back in the NFL, according to Pro Football Focus, even including Alvin Kamara, for, who for my money has been one of the two best running backs in the NFL this year, alongside Nick Chubb. It's really ironic to look back at all of this because when this past April, I believe it was, or May, when Washington drafted Gibson, I was not a fan of the pick at all. It was actually quite the opposite. And really that was because... You know, playing at a place like the University of Memphis, having all of 77 non-special teams touches to his name, 
Gibson didn't come across my radar in my admittedly amateurish scouting efforts. And, uh, and again, that's why I'm just an idiot amateur and guys like Kyle Smith and his staff are paid to do what they do. To that end, actually, again, Pat and I have talked quite a bit about this, and I want to, again, I want to reiterate it once more. Um, Gibson's early success so far to this season and the promise that he's shown is actually a testament to the alignment between our coaching staff, who basically helps set the wish list of things that they want on this team, and a personal personnel department who, by and large, was able to deliver on much of that list or a some portion of that list at a reasonable value. Case in point, Gibson being a mid to late third round pick. And that level of synergy, pardon the business cliche, is not that common in the NFL. And if we want any proof, we need to know look no further than the 2019 draft itself when an organization saddled a coaching staff with Dwayne Haskins, and the latter of which didn't want a quarterback and didn't want Haskins in particular. And look where we ended up right now. To have that level of connection is so important. To have those two parts of the team walking in lockstep is just so incredibly rare, and it's so nice to see for an organization as dysfunctional as ours. But getting back to Gibson, in regards to the player, at six foot one and 223 pounds, Gibson displays a rare level of quickness and burst. He shows the ability to string together cuts. He has a knack for making big plays in the open field with a ball in his hands. And as we've mentioned previously in other pods, Gibson was legit clocked at 4.39 seconds in the 40-yard dash. You really don't see that combination of size and speed that often. So he's not someone who fell to the third round of the draft because there was some glaring physical deficiency in his game or his skill set. It's actually because the NFL scouting community, they didn't really have a clear bucket to put him in. He didn't fit cleanly as a wide receiver and he didn't fit cleanly as a running back and the fact that he didn't have that clean fit is why teams hesitated and kind of let him drop to where they did and Washington was able to capitalize on that and I think this is a testament further to something Bill Belichick is often quoted as saying he always says we should be far less interested in determining what a player can't do we should be really interested in seeking to understand what a player can bring to his team what can he do from the from the standpoint of what you're trying to run from your schematics? And the obvious takeaway for Gibson, it has to be that he has the potential to be a multi-dimensional playmaker, frankly, in an offense that sorely needs anything of that sort. If you want to temper your expectations, if you want to be the Debbie Downer of sorts, you can point to the fact that Gibson's currently ranked 30th in the NFL right now, which is nothing to get super excited about. He hasn't run for more than 55 yards in a game this year. Um, I do think to that extent, as we're apt to do with fans, especially in the Washington, D.C. area, we were too quick to anoint him as the next big, as the next big thing, considering all the training camp hype he had, um, you know, those tweets and clips where everyone's like, oh, man, you know, Gibson looks really, really good. And then you know, we live in a city or we've been growing up with a football team who has had a very storied history at the running back position. And we just assume almost anyone we put it there um, is, going to be, is going to be really, really good, short of a Peyton Barber. But um, with those caveats in mind, there are still a few things that give me plenty of optimism around Gibson that should give you plenty of optimism around Gibson even in the midst of a horrifically sluggish offense like the one we're witnessing right now. Number one, 
I do love the fact that Gibson's obviously the lead dog in this running back, if you will, or this running back committee, I should say, that the Washington football team has. But the, they're not just trying to aimlessly slam him over and over again into the offensive line. He's on a pitch count, but he's obviously not being pulled at a certain time. Like they're they're using him intelligently. There's a rotation with him, McKissick, and yes, the aforementioned Peyton Barber. And you know they're not just trying to kind of force things by running him behind an offensive line that really hasn't done their part in opening any holes up for any of those running backs. Um, but they're not just overusing him for the sake of, well, he's all we got, so let's see what we can do. And to that end, there's actually a blueprint, whether it's short-term or long-term, in how to use him, when to use him, how frequently to use him. Similarly, I don't think it's not... I, in fact, I would I would definitively say it's not coincidental that Gibson's skill set resembles that of Christian McCaffrey. I am not saying Gibson is Christian McCaffrey, but you cannot deny the similarities in their skill sets. And of course, Ron Rivera and Scott Turner coached McCaffrey in Carolina... And to, from that perspective, I think there's a lot of room for growth, both for the way they use Gibson and the extent that they use Gibson in new and creative ways in this offense, especially once Turner is able to really flex his muscles as far as what he can do and not have to pare down the playbook so much for the obvious reasons that, again, I am not going to get into. And finally, while he's still quite a ways away from being anywhere near an elite running back or a very good one for that matter, we have to acknowledge from the fact that from a physical profile like the Terry McLaurin pick, you have to give credit to Kyle Smith and his staff for evaluating a player and seeing his skill set and the physical tools that he brings as a composite and not getting so down in the weeds about you know nitpicking what he can or can't do. This is a really good player, a very productive player, someone who can make things happen with the ball in his hands. And they were able to see that where other teams were trying to too busy trying to ascertain exactly what he is or what he isn't for that matter. And in the this is a rare instance where the mistakes of other teams are Washington's gain. And as a result of all of that, again, as we have been saying, Gibson's one of the bright spots on an otherwise dreadful offense and a reason to keep watching this team every week, even as we're likely to endure another ugly losing season like we have been over the past few weeks since beating Philadelphia. But I will end things there. Sorry to go kind of glooming on you at the end, but it is what it is. Nonetheless, I will be sure to stay awake for next Sunday's recap podcast for the Washington football team's game against Sean McVay and the Los Angeles Rams, rejoining my buddy Pat. But I will end it, as I always do, by imploring you after each episode to make sure you subscribe to us on wherever you get your podcast. I realize we're on a lot of platforms that I didn't otherwise know we were on. Um, and we're on Spotify now, so that's a thing too. And do check out our handful of content on YouTube, which I'm actively trying to grow as well. Uh, all of that being said, until then, stay the course and don't fall asleep during games like I did last night. Thank you for listening to the Hail to the District podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts.